If you have uh, your Bible, uh, I encourage you to follow along. I'm going to be in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James is a, kind of a smaller book towards the end of the New Testament. In my head, it's like the last book of the New Testament before Revelation, but it's not really where it is. I always go to the wrong place. So somewhere in the midway point in uh, the New Testament, you'll find the small book of James. We're uh, in week five. We're almost finished with a series called Some Disassembly Required. And what we're trying to do is that we're trying to identify things that in us or in our community, that they are obstacles making it difficult, unnecessarily difficult, for people to see who Jesus is, okay? And so uh, this kind of comes from uh, that story of Jesus flipping the tables in, uh, that we looked at in uh, the book of John. Uh, it's, in, it's in the other gospels as well, but when we taught it, we were in John. And Jesus just shows up and he, he takes these things that they were put there for good reasons. We give, we give all the money changers and uh, things a kind of a, a bad rap, but they were there, at, at least in the beginning, in order to help people get to God. And then it became this obstacle, became this thing that made it difficult to see who God really was. It made it difficult for people to worship God freely. And so what we've done is like, well, we're not immune to that. We look around and we see that there are things in the way that people present Jesus, as are very common ways of presenting Jesus, that they don't match the Jesus of Scripture. That's a problem that we should address like in our community, in our culture, in America. Uh, we see maybe some things in our own hearts that like if we're if we have to be honest we know a lot about Jesus but when it comes to forgiveness when it comes to treating others with kindness or you know the the very difficult ones love thy enemy holy cow like those are really difficult things to do and somehow or another if if you're like me anyway I've I've kind of I've almost excused myself of the hard things rather than just, than just taking Jesus at his word and saying, okay, I need to take some responsibility that I'm building obstacles. I'm building walls that are making it difficult to see Jesus. So for the last, you know, five weeks or so, we've just sort of been looking at what are these different things around us and, and what can we do about them? And it, I don't know. I didn't really know how this was going to land when we began the road. Most of these are just things that are inside my heart, right? These are not, I, I'm not going to walk down the hall and be like, you know, that table in the middle of the hall, making it hard to see Jesus and literally flip a table. That would be far too easy. Those tables are probably flipped centuries ago. Uh, more often than not, it's going to be a little pet grudge that I have, this little uh, soapbox that is my favorite to jump up on, my my quickness to anger or my quickness to silence, that that something in me seems to be the things that are causing it uh, difficult to, to see God. And so we're going to be in James uh, chapter 1. We're going to kind of unpack one one quick little passage about it. But the entire book is, is basically trying to do the same thing. If, if you read James from you know beginning to end, cover to cover of James, his goal is to take all of the religious sounding activities of humanity and give it a purpose and a point that, that makes sense, that we're not just going through the motions for the sake of going through the motions, that like what you do, have a pure heart about it. When you, when you pray, pray this way. When you, when you give to the poor, when you feed the, you know, the, the widows and the orphans, do them this way. James is a, is a super practical, practical book. What, what we're going to do today is we're going to land, I'm just going to give you the end at the beginning, and you know, then, then you have your money's worth. If you're like, I don't like where this is going, feel free to get up and leave, I guess. But, but where we're going to land the plane, and this is all of James, the entire book of James is this point, is there comes a point where you have to move from agreeing with a thing into actually doing the things that you agree with. 
There has to be spaces in every follower's life, every believer of Jesus, every Christian's life, where it's no longer just like, I agree with Jesus about these things, but it's now I'm ready to do the things I'm called to do. So James is really big on, on doing. There's a, a video, I, I, didn't, I didn't bring it you know, because I didn't think to, but it just popped in my head that I've seen this, this repeated video over and over again. It's a mom handing a bowl like right out of the oven or something to her child, and she says, it's hot on the bottom, grab it from the side. And the kid's like, yeah, I know, and puts it, no, 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 no. It's hot on the bottom, grab it from the sides. Right, mom, I got it. And like three times the mom repeats, it's hot on the bottom, grab it from the sides, and the kid's going in underneath for the piping hot, going to melt your hands off kind of a moment, and the mom just loses it. It's hot on the bottom, grab it from, and so she had to repeat herself four times, and then this has become a running meme on, somebody has seen this video. Am I the only one who's seen it? Okay, thank you, Hallie. Everybody was like, oh, that's good. That's good. I need to use that in parenting. Uh, <laughs> the, the meme, the point of the whole message is that sometimes you're saying and hearing the clearest message ever, and it just has to be repeated over and over again. And it's real fun as parents because we're like, oh yeah, well, we were like that with our children. But really, is it just our children? Like, what, what if, what if this? What if Jesse's kids learned it from Jesse? <laughs> what, what if our kids are just reflecting back to us our exact intention and relationship with God? God, you know, will give us instruction. He's like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for your enemies. You're like, right, right. But he's kind of a jerk, you know. God's, yeah, but I want you to pray blessings for your enemies. I hear you, God. And he's like, no, grab it from the, you know, it's hot on the bottom. Grab it from the sides. Uh, let's look at James together. Um, we'll, we'll unpack this kind of an easy message to hear. It's a common message. Or it's an often repeated message. And then the question is, is like, how good are we at applying this? Are we, are we the kid who's going for it at the bottom of the bowl and trying to burn our hands over and over again? Maybe, maybe the Lord is just gently going to remind us that there's a time to do a thing. Chapter 1, verse 9 uh, starts this way. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. I, you know it's going to be good when he's like, guys, I love you so much. I, I got to tell you something because I love you so much. I've got to tell you. You know it's going to be one of those kind of salty statements. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, if I just if I just repeated that sentence a couple of times and let's close in prayer, like that, I need to hear this. I don't know about you. Uh, I tend to be, a, I have, I can have a hot temper at times. I can be, I can be slow to hear, uh, really quick to say what I think about something. And when there's a misunderstanding, like the nuke goes off in my brain and just quick to anger. James, he's kind of at the beginning of his letter. He says, let every person, all of us, all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What does that look like in our lives? So we, we live in you know 2023, uh, for those who are listening later in the future or whatever, um, that uh, this, is, this, is, this is the time in our culture where everybody knows everything and nobody asks anything. Uh, everybody is very quick to tell you the right thing, the right politician, the right way to think about that, the right way to parent, the right way to teach a classroom, holy cow, every teacher I've ever met has just like crowds of parents. Like, have you considered like meeting my child on his educational needs? Have you considered I've gone to college for like six years for this and I do meet your child on their individual educational needs? Like every 
corner of our society is the exact opposite of what James just said. I, I, I really, I'm having a difficult time overstating how real I think that this is. Every corner of our society is slow to hear. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I've already come up with my own opinions. I already know what what you're going to say. I already know why you're wrong before you've told me anything. So I'm, I'm, I'm slow to hear what you have to say, but I'm going to be quick to tell you what I have to say. No, no, no. You sit down and you be quiet. We want other people to be quick to hear, but we want to be the ones who are speaking so much. And then that last bit, that slow, slow to anger. Uh, so, something that, that has come to my attention a few years ago, and it just seems to be getting worse. Like the more I know about it, the more I see it, is that anger is this fuel that seems to be spoon-fed to us on the regular basis. Every, every little corner of our media wants you to be mad. And he, here's why. It's a, it's a really basic reason why. Uh, the main reason why every corner of our media wants you to be mad is because emotion makes money, and there is a really easy emotion to elicit from people. It's really hard to get empathy out of people. It's really hard to get the warm fuzzies into people. Like, you have to watch a whole Disney movie before you're crying at the end of Encanto, and the family's like, my family's like this, and you know, like, you have to have the whole story arc to get, like, that level of empathy. But if I want you to get angry, I can flash three pictures, get a talking head. It takes me 30 seconds. It is so cheap, and it's so easy, and anger sells things. Uh, our culture wants us to be quick to anger. And so here's what we have to deal with as a church. Here's what we have to deal with as, as followers of Jesus. That this letter, this book of James, written 2,000 years ago, not really even considering what America was going to be going through today, is telling us the exact opposite message of the rest of our culture. Everything outside the kingdom of God and Lord forgive us, some churches really dabble in the quick to anger, quick to speak, slow to hear kind of motif. But, but even outside of that, every corner of our culture is the opposite of this. And James, he's instructing us, you know what we should do? We should walk in the opposite direction. There's this whole river of anger going this way, and there should be like a little salmon of us. Like we're just like going against the current, against the anger. I'm, I, I'm going to refuse. If I follow James, I'm going to refuse to take this, this message of anger and like pass it along. I'm going to refuse to share it on my social media. I'm going to refuse to engage in that PTA like, you know, bash session. Uh, I, the number of examples that popped to mind, I'm trying to keep every, everything confident that I can. Like it's, so it's just it's just everywhere. Let me tell you a story. Um, years ago, uh, I had a, had a relative uh, pass away, and I, I go to the funeral. I'm at the funeral, and as it is with any funeral, I'm sure this is true of the funerals you go to that that you're you're meeting and hanging out with a family that you haven't seen in a while. It's just it's just been years, and so you're catching up. And so I had this relative come sit down next to me on a couch. I'm just kind of I'm quiet. I'm just you know minding my own business. This relative sits down next to me. So how you been? I haven't talked to this guy in years. How you been? Well, I'm pretty good. Yeah. How are you? You good? How are the kids? Good. Yeah. You see uh, Tammy over there? Yeah. Yeah. I see Tammy. Uh, we're we're all against Tammy right now. So, oh. Oh, we're against Tammy? I didn't know. Yeah, Tammy's been talking a lot of trash about her side of the family, and I just want you to know, just in case you didn't get the memo, we're, all of us, we're against Tammy. It's like, I, I didn't know. I'm completely anonymizing these names because this is a real story. I'm, I'm just making up the names. Uh, and, and in this moment, I am forced to choose, do I pick up this anger and put it on like a nice, warm, comfy jacket? And the, the beauty, beautiful thing is, is that if I do, 
I have an entire like wing of my family that's like just ready to embrace me in open, angry arms. Like we are on the same side. But the truth is that Tammy did nothing to me. In fact, if Tammy walked in right now, I wouldn't even recognize her. That's how far removed we are as a family. Like I just, I don't know Tammy that well. Why, why would I be so quick to pick up that anger? And, and I essentially, it's like, yeah, okay. And that was the end of that conversation. I haven't talked to him. And it's been like four more years since, since that happened. I haven't talked to that family member because I wasn't quick to, to pick up anger. Where, where in your corners of your life do you find yourself forced to make choices about, am I going to be quick or slow to hear? Am I going to be quick or slow to speak? Am I going to be quick or slow to anger? And as soon as you start to look for these, it's, it's kind of like whenever you're like shopping for a BMW, all of a sudden everybody on the road has a BMW, right? As soon as you're like looking for a house with white bricks, every house has white bricks. And you're like, ah, I think this might be cliche. It's because there's something in our brain that when we're looking for the thing, when we're thinking about the thing, we start to see it everywhere. Let me ask you this question this week. Will you start to look for these areas in your life where you're asked to be quick to anger, slow to hear, quick to speak up and speak your mind? And what are you willing to, to do about it? Here, here's, here's my guess. Uh, this week, before Monday is over, it's going to happen twice at work. Uh, by the time you get home, before you go to bed that night, it's going to happen at least once in your marriage, if, if you're married. Uh, if you have children, it's going to happen twice in the morning and three times in the afternoon. I'm just talking about tomorrow, guys. Like, honestly, the number of times we would be wise to just stop talking and to be quick to hear what's going on. Then we're not quick to give our opinion, not to get, not to speak up, but then we're slow to anger. Like maybe, maybe there's a little nuance to be had right here. Now we could flash back, uh, we could start to apply this one verse to the other lessons from the series. Think about when Jesus was, you know, at that meal and the Pharisees started talking bad about him behind his back. And would, would, what would have happened if Jesus was slow to hear and quick to speak up? Well, the Pharisees never would have, you know, gotten their message out. What about when the other disciples came to Jesus? Like, hey, what's the deal, Jesus? Why do you guys not fast and we have to fast? And there's all this. If Jesus were just quick to get angry, like, hey, it's none of your business. You know, that's not what Jesus was like. Jesus reflected this. He was, he was slow to speak. He was slow to anger. He was quick to hear other people. Uh, those of you who are married, um, you, you would be wise to listen to your spouse. Your spouse is like ha- in a kind of a bad mood. And then just pause and maybe ask a follow-up question. Like, I, I, hear, I hear maybe you're agitated. Can you tell me a little bit more about where that's coming from, right? We, instead of just reacting to whatever is on the, the forefront. This is, uh, the, the importance of this is really seen a lot with uh, people who work with children uh, or who have children. If, you, if you're a teacher and educator, the number of times, tell me, uh, just do this if I'm, if I'm speaking the truth, the number of times a child comes in on you know Tuesday morning with an attitude and like around noon you realize that that whole attitude had to do with like this really traumatic thing that happened the weekend before, like they didn't get any sleep, the neighbors were beating on the door, and, and it's all this behavior stuff that's happening right here, but when we're quick to respond to it, we, we, we're not able to hear. And when we hear, we listen, and we find out, oh, you've had a really rough week, buddy. I see. I can see now where this is coming from. So James's uh, instruction is this. Uh, let every person, all of us, would be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he continues. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And he doesn't give any like caveats on that. 
The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God unless you're quoting a Bible verse. Right? He doesn't add that you know, at the end. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God unless you're talking about this one person who everybody agrees is a jerk. You know, he doesn't add any of that. There, there seems to be that, that anger is something that we should be really slow to pick up because we are failed, flawed people with imprecise, imperfect perceptions. You and I, we're not omniscient and omnipotent. We're not like God, that we can see the beginning from the end and know how all of this is going to play out. Because when God gets angry at a thing, he goes in and he flips the table, or he, you know, he warns Israel that he's going to judge them because he sees the end from the beginning. He is perfect and holy. Newsflash, though, Jesse, me, I'm not perfect and I'm not holy. I'm actually, because I know this about myself, I should be a little leery, a little scared about being quick to pick up anger because the righteousness, uh, excuse me, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. More often than not, if, if I give into my anger, uh, I walk away later not thinking, man, I sure did push God's agenda forward. <laughs> no, no. I usually walk away like, oh man, that's about five apologies coming out of my mouth later. Like, I, I, I do not contain the holiness of God. Therefore, my anger can be flawed at times. There is, it doesn't say, uh, slow to speak, never pick up anger. It just says slow down, guys. So if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we should be quick to hear people, hear other perspectives that aren't ours, listen to her co-workers, listen to her boss, try to understand the nuance of why that one way the boss is talking is coming down. It's like, that really seems out of place. But then if you take a step back, like, what are all the pressures on his plate? How did he, okay, so he can't really explain everything all the time. And so we slow down, we hear, we're, we're slow to speak up, but sometimes it's time to speak up. And then we're slow to anger, even though sometimes we're anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so now that James has made this point, he adds this, therefore, verse 21, therefore, now that, now that this is true, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says, uh, when, when we learn how to slow down, when we, when we learn how to stop standing up for the things that are making us angry and getting on our soapboxes, when we learn to slow down in all the ways that we're supposed to and we're quick to hear, you're going to realize that implanted in you is the word that faithful preachers have been preaching to you or you've studied in the past that the Lord has, has provided for you measures upon which he's going to bring to remembrance verses, uh, uh, sermons, moments in time that can be applied to that thing that should be making you angry that the rest of the culture is saying to make you angry. And he says that, that receive it with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I, I'm, I'm, you know, some, some preachers, they really like getting up to like, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to really make everybody mad right now. And I'm just going to like convict everybody. That's not my style. Like everything about me, I'm sweating right now because I'm thinking this is me. This is, this is, this is like, as I study these words all week, I'm thinking, I really should be quicker to hear people. I should be less quick to jump in and, and, and finish people's sentences. I should, I should slow down on the things that I'm picking up anger. And, and when I reflect this, or when I reflect on this, I'm, I'm receiving it. Would you be willing to receive this message this week that James is giving us? And we just slow down a little bit. So the whole series is, you know, sometimes it's hard to see God when we, when we have these tables that need to be flipped. What, what tables have James, has James identified so far? 
Well, some, sometimes it's hard to see God because we don't slow down long enough to hear anything new. We're still running on old information, misinformation. We're still running on whatever the last thing we saw in the news. We, we, we don't slow down long enough to hear anything new. If we follow James's instruction right here, your ability to have conversations is going to slow down by like one-tenth. It's going to go way, way down. You, you, you're not expected, just generally speaking, humans, we're not expected to just have the answer to everything. Your kid doesn't need you to have the immediate answer to that discipline problem right away. Your boss doesn't need you to clap back as soon as they say something inappropriate in the moment, in the crowded room. They don't, they don't need that. But if you slowed way, way down and you became comfortable with, I may look like a fool for the next five minutes, but I'm going to maybe quietly pray to my God and listen you're, you're going to be, you're going to be better able to respond. Sometimes it's hard to see God because we're so quick on the draw that we don't stop to listen to him. Sometimes it's hard to see God, uh, because we're too quick to pick up offenses. There's, there's a whole, uh, addiction of being angry that we want to find the next thing to be mad at us. You get that, that phone call from a friend's like, Hey, you will never guess what she said to me. And you're like, Oh, do tell, you know, like everything in us is like, please dish, you know, spill the tea or whatever phrase these kids are saying, you crazy young people. Uh, we, we want to find the next thing that we're going to be angry at. And we, we like salivate for it. It's almost like Pavlov's dog's like, Ooh, that sounds juicy. Tell me, tell me everything he or she did wrong. So I can hate him or her too. And, and we need to just be, you know, real with ourselves. Like maybe in the quietness and the personal space of our God, just ask him like, God, why am I wanting to be angry? Why do I enjoy that fire burning in my belly so much? I, I'll tell you a secret. Um, I think, I think that there's this fire burning in your belly, everyone's belly, and it has a holy intention. It, it, it is meant for good. It is meant for you to be completely outraged when you see the, the, the need for child trafficking workers in our community. It's meant to be completely like ready to explode when you look at the number of children entering foster care and the need of the homes coming up. It's meant to completely overwhelm you whenever you see the battered women's shelters begging for money and help. And I think what the enemy has done, and he's taking meaningless pointless, never going to move the needle forward things in our culture and says, that's what you should be getting ticked off about. And just ignore all those other holy things. Just ignore those. This just popped in my head. It's not in the sermon. It's not going to be on the slides. But like five verses later, he says, pure and undefiled religion is this, caring for orphans and widows in their affliction. It just occurred to me that maybe the reason why these verses are so close together is because when our belly fire, our anger is being pointed at meaningless things, we ignore the widows and we ignore the orphans. We're too busy dealing with whatever the culture says we're supposed to be mad at, all the Tammies in our life that just like, you don't know them anyway. Who cares? Uh, and then, and then when it's time to actually do something like, oh, I'm sorry, I've, I've spent all my belly fire on another thing. I, I, I got to get it to a new metaphor. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's hard to see God because we're just too quick to pick up offenses. And sometimes it's hard to see God because we're too slow to hear other people that maybe new information is being missed. And the last is this, is that sometimes it's hard to see God because we've learned how to learn. We've learned how to learn really well. We just haven't done so much on the applying of what we've learned. We go to church and we hear brand new sermons every week. 
We can go online. Now, now that we live in the future, we can go on YouTube and listen to world-renowned preachers giving their best sermon. You could listen to the best sermon that's ever been preached every week if you wanted to, because I'm sure it's recorded online at carpentersway.com. <laughs> Oh, man, uh, I couldn't pass that up. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we, we have the ability to listen to great and amazing sermons, and so we've learned how to learn, but we've become so comfortable just hearing things and agreeing with them that we forgot to actually put one foot in front of another and do it. In fact, our hunger to learn more is, as soon as I've learned a new thing, we're ready to learn the next thing and the next thing. If you go to seminaries, Bible college, I, I've been to Bible college. I, I kind of was one of these people that I was comfortable learning all the things before I did one of the things. They just sit and argue, like Greek words and semantics. And like, it's just, when you, when you take a step back, like, and when's the last time you used that Greek word in a sentence? Well, We've learned how to learn, not how to do. And you're thinking maybe that, well, James hasn't said that. Well, he hasn't said it yet, okay? So verse 22 says this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, comma, and I don't like this phrase, deceiving yourselves. If you don't think that the Bible is holy and, and like every word is life-giving, then that deceiving yourselves, you, you probably would just want to mark it out, but don't do that because this is holy and it's telling us something about ourselves. When, when we hear God's word and we sit and we meditate on it and we think, man, that is good. That's me. I need to do something about it. Oh, that's so good. And then we walk away with no plan to ever do anything with it. What happens over time is that because you and I, we're not God, we're not holy with infinite memories, the memory of that twinge, the memory of that, I've got to do something, starts to fade. And then before you know it, someone's like, hey, I've got something for you to be angry at. And then that belly fire fires back up at the wrong thing again. And we move so far away from the word of God that was there that we deceive ourselves. That's what James says, that we deceive ourselves. Because the next time it's preached on, the next time forgiving enemies is preached on, you remember the last time you heard about it, and you're like, yeah, 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 I've been, I, I've got that one down. But I don't. I don't. I'll, I'll have people, Pastor Jesse, just full disclosure, taking my, my, my mask off, if you'll let me. Uh, I have people that do things, and it just makes me angry. Ah, I should do something angrily. Ah, that'll feel great. And, and then the whisper of Jesus is like, no, no, you just let me take care of that. You forgive, you pray for your enemies, and you forgive, and you pray for your enemies, you forgive, and vengeance is mine. I'm like, but can vengeance be a little bit mine? Jesus is like, no, Jesse, <laughs> vengeance can't be yours at all. Because I'm called, and you're called, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Because when we're just hearers of the word, we are creating lies for ourselves. And we're becoming so comfortable with the words of God that we're inoculating ourselves to the actual transformation that the words of God are bringing us towards. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is not this, that your brain enlarge in the truths of God only. That, that's part of it. The work of the Holy Spirit is that by applying the things that you're learning about God's word, you slowly are transformed to look more like Jesus to this culture that needs examples of what Jesus is like. And so here's, here's what he says. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, 
Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He, he draws this metaphor of like when, when we are confronted with God's word, and hopefully this is true when, when you're hearing sermons or when you're studying God's word yourself, when you're reading God's word, it's like, it's like looking into a mirror. You start to see your face for what it is really like with no masks on. And we need to be careful because when we walk away from the mirror, if we don't do anything with that knowledge, we quickly forget it. And we just wander around forgetting what our face looked like. Years ago, before I was pastor, I was, I was uh, filling in for Pat. Uh, I preached a sermon. It was the best sermon I've ever preached. I, I get off the stage. Uh, I walk down the hall, talk to some people. I talk to you guys. I'm talking to Jason down the hall. Everybody's left the building. I go into the restroom. I look in the mirror, and I have a booger in my nose, and I have no idea how long this thing has been there. None of y'all said anything to me about it. Uh, the people in the hallway didn't say anything about it. I think about this all the time. It's so funny to me. And, and you, it, any normal person, at this moment, takes care of themselves, right? You know, a little hygiene, clean up, wash your hands. Uh, what if, what if I just looked in the mirror like, man, somebody should do something about that thing in my nose. And then I just walked away and I went to the grocery store and I went to the bank and I just forgot, like, I just walked away. That would be completely ridiculous. And it's funny to even think about it. And yet James is kind of saying like, yeah, we, we kind of do that with our sins. We kind of do that with our brokenness. Jesus says, why is it that we're so quick to see the speck in our brother's eye and ignore the plank in our eye? When, when, we're, when we're looking in the mirror of God's word and we see a plank out of our eye and instead pick up the anger of our brother's speck in his eye, we are beginning not to help anyone. We're beginning to deceive ourselves, to fool ourselves into thinking that we're holier than we are, we're more righteous than we are. And to forget this, that every human being until the day that we see Jesus face to face, is in an active wrestling war with the sin that's waging inside of us. Just like Paul said, there are two fleshes inside of us. So if we're going to get this table and flip it out, we have to stop being just hearers of the word, but also be doers too. There's a book by Eugene Peterson. Uh, the title of the book is great. In fact, the title of the book, I haven't even read the book. The title of the book is, is what I know because that was the quote I was going to bring. The title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. What a great line is that? A long obedience in the same direction. The, the premise of the book is, is what it takes to actually say yes and be doers of God's word. And he has this quote. As I was looking for what I thought was a quote was the title. I found this quote. I thought this was so good. He says this, he says, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling that is expressed in an act of worship. And that'll, that'll change the way you think about some things, huh? That what we do when we gather and we read God's word, what we do when we gather and we sing things to him, when we pray to him, when we, when we challenge ourselves in the teaching of his word, these are acts of worship that should be creating in us feelings. And too many Americans are at church seeking a feeling. No, no, no. You should seek to do. You should seek to, to obey the words of God. And what will happen is that the feelings come as a result of that. And so here's, here's what we're left with, kind of a closing question. Is that when you're confronted with the illuminating, self-relevating, that's a, a great Tencent word, self-relevating truths that come from hearing and studying God's word, what are you willing to do with it? You're, you're, you're hearing, you're hearing a sermon right now. What do you, what do you, like, do you make plans to apply this to your marriage, to your work? Maybe, maybe, maybe we owe our teachers, our kids' teachers an apology. Maybe, maybe, maybe we practice being slower. I don't know. 
Every, every time we're confronted with something in God's word, make a plan to do something with it. When you are confronted, what are you willing to do with it? And here are our two choices as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you have, you have a thousand more choices to choose from. I, I, I would like to sit and chat with you about those. Uh, but as followers of Jesus, you kind of have two choices that you have to deal with. We have option one, seek to obey. We hear God's word. We, we see how to apply that to some corner of our lives. And then we take, and every one of these is an uncomfortable step. If it were comfortable, you would have already been doing it. You wouldn't have to be confronted with it. So it's going to be an uncomfortable step towards a yes. I'm going to try that. I'm going to be slower to speak. I'm going to be slower to anger, whatever. Uh, we, choice one is seek to obey. But choice two is that we can deceive ourselves. We can passively deceive ourselves with the narcotic opium of hearing without applying that slowly inoculates our souls against the true transformation that God is calling us towards. I want you to be transformed. I want to be transformed by the power of God. And that doesn't come just from hearing. It comes from doing the things that I've heard. This comes from saying yes to Jesus. Not just with the, the, the forgiveness of my sins and saying yes to the cross and then I do whatever I want. It's, and now I have to do something in the way I treat people. And now I have to do something in how I interact, how I lead, how I, how I pray for my spouse, how I do A, B, C, D, E. The rest of Jesse's life will be, that's uncomfortable, but I'm supposed to say yes to that. And we should seek to do the same. So my, my challenge to you is that you would seek obedience, that you would choose obedience, and that you would choose it daily. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is going to be our cross, that one step of obedience with some weight on our back. I don't want to be nice to Tammy, but Jesus told me to. Okay, and then you'll slowly be transformed because obedience leads to transformation. Let me pray, uh, and we'll watch the, the cue together. Father, uh, this morning, this is, uh, Lord, I, I admit, Father, as I, as I worked on this, I feel, I feel inadequate uh, to teach this uh, as if I'm a perfect example. Uh, Lord, these are heavy words, um, but I think your challenge is valid. Uh, Lord, and, and I have enough history of seeing how you work to know that when I've been faithful to you, you've transformed me far more than, than just when I've thought good things about you. Lord, help me to live this out. Help me to be a doer of your word and not just a hearer who deceives myself. Lord, I pray for those in this room who have ears to hear this, that um, we would be challenged to be doers of your word. Uh, no longer comfortable just hearing a feel-good message and having such a, a strong thought, but that we would challenge uh, ourselves in, to to apply your word to different corners of our of our homes, of our work, of our of our lives. Um, Lord, I pray that there be real transformation in the families uh, in this room and those who are hearing this word. Uh, so much transformation that it becomes so obvious to our culture in our community around us, that you are good and that you are holy and that you're doing something bigger than any of us. I pray, Father, that people would would come to ask questions about who this God is based on the transformation that they're seeing in the lives of those of us who are obedient to you. Um, may you get all the glory. Uh, it's not it's, Protect us from self-righteousness, and may we, uh, may we see your transformation at work. Help us to be doers. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.